Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with Evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's Evangelist Jonathan. Fasting and prayer, day 17. Light at the end of the tunnel. What's that, 18, 19, 20, 21? Yeah, 17, 18, 19. So tonight and then four other nights and we can eat. I don't know why it took me that long to subtract 21 from 17. Good to see you. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Got a few great people in the studio. And um, today is 12 Secrets to Make 2023 a Year of Uncommon Achievement, which is taken from the series I did nine months ago. 50 Secrets of Uncommon Achievers. I narrowed it down to 12 uh, very important ones. And I'm going to throw in a bonus one that is not on that. I know. It went fast, Marissa. Good to see everybody. Glad you're on today. Prayer at 12. And then we got the great Pastor Bob Rogers. 7 o'clock tonight, 7 o'clock tomorrow. If you don't know, on Daystar Ministry Now, the live program... Dr. Rodney Howard Brown and me are going to be simultaneous uh, guests. Like me and Adonis Ron, it's going to be me, me and him. So going to be great. Looking forward to that. And um, so glad that you're here. I want you, if you have your Bible, open it with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 2. 2 Chronicles chapter 2. Twelve secrets to make 2023 a year of uncommon achievement, and we've been on this theme quite a bit uh, towards the end of the fast. Because if you're not careful, you're just going to recreate the same year every year. You're just going to fast, and these 21 days will be different. But then you you react the same, you make all the same decisions. And uh, hey, Delise, we love you. Looking forward to seeing you. You. Nothing changes. So before the fast is over, you want to start thinking about changes that you, you need to make. <clears throat> Tom and Rebecca said, I lost 13 pounds. This is great. I weigh less than I did in my teens. Well, I'm glad you only put in on 13 pounds from when you were a teenager. That makes one of us. You do lose weight when you don't eat. I have noticed that. <laughs> I have like a, a metabolism problem. I don't see too many chubby people coming out of uh, Ravensbrook when they freed the prisoners of war. Second Chronicles chapter 2. The Bible, of course, is full of uncommon achievers. And when you read them, they're secrets. The old saying is men's secrets are in their stories. So you see guys like Solomon, who we're going to read about. Guys that did major things. And then the Bible tells you what they did when you examine it. So Second Chronicles chapter 2. Verse 1, Solomon decided to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord and also a royal palace for himself. He enlisted a force of 70,000 laborers, 80,000 men to quarry stone in the hill country. That's up to 150,000. And 3,600 foremen, managers. So he had, if he had a manager's meeting, there would be 3,600 people. Solomon also sent this message to King Hiram of Tyre. Send me cedar logs as you did for my father David when he was building his palace. I'm about to build the temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. It will be a place set apart to burn fragrant incense before him, to display the special sacrificial bread, and to sacrifice burnt offerings each morning and evening on the Sabbaths, at new moon celebrations, and at the other appointed festivals of the Lord our God. 
He has commanded Israel to do these things forever. This must be a magnificent temple because our God is greater than all other gods. But who can really build him a worthy home? Not even the highest heavens can contain him. So who am I to consider building a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices to him? So send me a master craftsman who can work with gold, silver, bronze, and iron, as well as with purple, scarlet, and blue cloth. He must be a skilled engraver who can work with the craftsmen of Judah and Jerusalem who were selected by my father David. Also send me cedar, cypress, and red sandalwood logs from Lebanon. For I know that your men are without equal at cutting timber in Lebanon. I will send my men to help them. An immense amount of timber will be needed. For the temple I'm going to build will be very large and magnificent. In payment for your woodcutters, I will send 100,000 bushels of crushed wheat, 100,000 bushels of barley, 110,000 gallons of wine, and 110,000 gallons of olive oil. King Hiram sent this letter of reply to Solomon. It is because the Lord loves his people that he has made you their king. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who made the heavens and the earth. He has given King David a wise son, gifted with skill and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. I'm sending you a master craftsman named Huram Abi, who is extremely talented. His mother's from the tribe of Dan in Israel, and his father's from Tyre. He's skillful at making things from gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and he also works with stone and wood. He can work with purple, blue, and scarlet cloth and fine linen. He's also an engraver and can follow any design given to him. He will work with your craftsmen and those appointed by my Lord David, your father. Send along the wheat, barley, olive oil, and wine that my Lord has mentioned. We will cut whatever timber you need from the Lebanon mountains and will float the logs and rafts down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa. From there, you can transport the logs up to Jerusalem. Solomon took a census of all foreigners in the land of Israel, like the census his father had taken, and he counted 153,600. He assigned 70,000 of them as common laborers and 80,000 as quarry workers in the hill country and 3,600 as foremen. I'm going to write another bonus one down. Twelve secrets to make 2023 a year of uncommon achievement. Number one, uncommon achievers have a desire to advance God's kingdom. Uncommon achievers have a desire to advance God's kingdom. I have this number one for a reason. When your heart becomes intoxicated with a desire to advance the kingdom of God, all other things are added unto you. How many other things? All. Even things you don't want. I have people give me things I don't want, which then I give, which then comes back as a harvest, and I end up with massive amounts of things I don't want. Because all things are added unto you. I've noticed that. People would give me things and it's like something I won't use, so, so I'll give it to somebody and then I go on the road again somebody gives me like two more of them, so I give those away. That's how it works. Luke 12, 13. 
Uh, I'll skip down for the sake of time. Luke 12, 16. I'll go up one. Luke 12, 15. Then Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now contrast that with David in 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Then King David turned to the, entire, to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous. For the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there's enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx and other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. Verse 3, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 3. And now, because of my devotion or my affection for the temple of my God, I am giving all my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir. This is from David's private treasury. David had 112 tons of gold. It's not bad to have 112 ounces of gold. 112 tons of gold. I did the calculation on that. Of course, the price of gold is always fluctuating. Just that's about around $6 billion with a B. 262 tons of refined silver, also not cheap. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Number one, uncommon achievers have a desire and an affection for God's kingdom. Some people can hear about any need and it doesn't move them. It does, they don't care. Somebody else will take care of it. Church needs a new roof. Well, we're praying for you, Pastor. But then there's other people that are moved by it. I felt like that as a kid. When I get older, they're not going to have to take a ton of offerings to remodel the one bathroom at the church. I'll have it. That's what David had. And David passed that along to his son. First Kings chapter 3. Solomon so loved the Lord that that night he offered 1,000 burnt offerings to the Lord. Why? Out of a love for God. Why did David do this giving? Because what, what, what did David say here? Now we all know we're commanded in Leviticus to give. So No, out of my love and devotion for God and his temple. And I want you to write that down. Love for God and love for his temple. The house of God. I, I firmly believe God, was, God saw my love for his church. I miss you in Salem, Oregon, Becky. I had a great time there. I think God saw my um, 
love for his church during the lockdowns and gave me my own and filled it with people. Why did I get a lawyer to go against the governor? I don't even have a church. Because of my affection for, for church. I love church. I love churches. I love hearing about churches being built. I think I'm in close to 300 grand for Dr. Rodney's building. It's not mine. We're praying for you, Pastor Rodney. When's the, I, was, I had a pastor, I've had a few tell me. They're building a building and uh, their church members will just come by. When's the building going to be ready? All right. They, you know, they don't get, don't, no care. So you better come out of this time of fasting and prayer. Hey, Heather, in central Pennsylvania, good to see you. You better come out of this time of fasting and prayer with a passion for God and his work. Or you've missed it. When that becomes the driving force of your life, that is the golden secret of uncommon achievement. Number two. So number one, and I'll add a word to that. Uncommon achievers have a passionate desire to advance God's kingdom. Thanks, Marissa. Good to see you in Hana. We have, other, we have someone from Hana in the studio. Number two. Uncommon achievers are willing to accept the life of an uncommon achiever which is harsh family criticism. The willingness to move geographically out of the 50 miles that you grew up around. Most people are born, live, and die within 50 miles of where they were born. Now, I'm within 50 miles of where I was born right now. The Lord called me back here. But I certainly haven't stayed within these 50 miles. I got the passports to prove it. Uncommon achievers are willing to accept the life of an uncommon achiever. Harsh family criticism. You can write it down as a law. As soon as you do something that's never been done in your family before, people in your family are going to criticize you. If everybody drives when they go long distances and you book a plane ticket, if everyone's, if nobody's ever flown first class, if you're the first uh, one to charter a plane, if you're the first one to own a home rather than rent an apartment, if you're the first one to get a job rather than collect disability and welfare, if you're the first one to start a business rather than be an employee, hey, what are you doing? Just go work at the plant with your uncle. You know, that's what you'll put up with. Harsh family criticism. Ask Joseph. You're willing to move geographically. And you're willing to put up with outside criticism. Isaiah 119. If you be willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Many people are obedient, but they're not willing. They tithe, they give offering. They, they go to church, they do what God says, but then they're not willing to put up with persecution and, and people saying nasty things and people posting things on Facebook that are generalized comments, but they know they're directed at them.
There's people that are comfortable with you at the level you're at in life, and they're not comfortable with you going past that level. You know, it's not like your parents want you to fail in life, but there's a level they think in their head you can get to, and when you start going past that, they speak up. Somebody said family rejection on both sides when we were born again. I left that one out. If you're the first one to become a Christian in your family, if, and then if you're the first one to become a sold-out Christian, some of you are the first one in your family that ever went on an extended fast when you fasted and prayed with us this year, and you heard about it from your Christian family members. I don't think you have to do that. It's not like fasting changes anything that's written in the Bible, you know, whatever they say. People don't want you to go past where they went. I had people, hey, Johnny O'Dell, good to see you. I had people in the ministry that treated me very well and wanted to help me as long as I was lower than them. Then when I started to get close to them in the ministry, as far as the same level, they started treating me um, like an adversary. Number two, uncommon achievers are willing to accept the life of an uncommon achiever, which is harsh persecution. Read the comments under anything Elon Musk tweets. You effing, you know, people, when you do well, there's people who hate you. Ask Jesus. You didn't do anything wrong. Number three. Second Chronicles 2.1. We already read it. I'm going to read it again. Solomon decided to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord and also a royal palace for himself. Number three, uncommon achievers establish clear-cut goals. Clear-cut, well-defined goals. What's the goal of your ministry? I want to shake the nations. I don't know what that means. You're into earthquakes. We want to get people on fire. I know what you mean, but it's not a clear-cut goal. Your life's mission should be able to be put in a simple statement. Um, let me add something to number three. So you wrote down, he established a clear-cut goal, and then we'll add verse four to that, Second Chronicles 2, 4. He has commanded Israel to do these things. He established a clear-cut goal and received God's stamp of approval. So it's not something you made up. It's something you know God commanded you to do. God, God commanded me to start this church, so I go about it differently. When we got turned into the city from a church that was jealous of how many people we had coming, I treated it wasn't, oh, sorry, I guess we can't have church. No, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stand up for what God commanded us to do.
He established a clear-cut goal and received God's stamp of approval. Your life's mission should be able to be put in a simple statement. My father's uh, last lamb crusades is independence upon God. Our goal is to lead one million people into a first-time decision, uh, a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ, something like that. It's a, it's a sentence. Independence upon God, our goal is to lead one million people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, something like that. Billy Graham's was maybe even shorter than that. You should be able to put in a simple sentence what, what your life's mission is. So can you, before I blow by the point, I want you to be, you don't have to do it this morning, but have it done before the fast. No, and don't make it up. Get it from God. Solomon wasn't listening to a YouTube broadcast and decided to build the temple. You should have it from the Lord during fasting and prayer what your, what your mission is. There's a fake study from Harvard. I've heard it quoted a lot. And so I, before I went to quote it, I made sure it was a real thing. And it turns out it's not. They said that the only difference between the top 3% of Harvard graduates and the other 97% after they graduated, what they accomplished in life, was that the top 3% wrote down their goals. There's no evidence that that study ever took place. However, there, as I researched it, there was a university in the Caribbean that did a study on people who write down their goals on paper and those that don't, and that did confirm that the ones that wrote down their goals did better, much better. Number four, verses three and four, Second Chronicles chapter two. Solomon also sent this message to King Hiram of, at Tyre. Now that's not a, he's not a, he's not an Israelite. This is a, a pagan king. Send me cedar logs as you did for my father David when he was building his palace. I'm about to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord my God. It will be a place set apart to burn fragrant incense before him, to display the special sacrificial bread, and to sacrifice burnt offerings each morning and evening on the Sabbaths, at new moon celebrations, and at other appointed festivals of the Lord our God. He has commanded Israel to do these things forever. Number four, uncommon achievers are able to announce... Uncommon achievers announce their goal and can explain its value and purpose to anybody, not fellow charismatics. Solomon's explaining, he's announcing his goal and explaining the value of it to someone that's not even going to worship at that temple. We had um, a businessman who's not anti-Christianity by any means, but he doesn't, he's from another faith. He visited our church. And I told him, because there are black people, Hispanic people, white people, Asian people, you, you name it, South American, Central American, they were all in the church. We had about 1,000 people that day. And I said, you see this? I said, this is why globalists hate Christianity. Because they're trying to turn everybody against each other. And at one point in the service, everyone was holding hands with their hands in the air, singing to God. I said, it destroys that plan. And he shook his head. Yes, he could see it. 
He could see the value of church even outside. For somebody that isn't a Christian, he could see the value of church. I could explain it. Somebody says they don't love, I don't even believe in Jesus. Why should there be a church? Well, do you like, as, as, as the mayor, do you like there to be a ton of unemployed people who are on drugs? Because the Bible takes that out of people. The Bible changes people's hearts. You can pass laws to punish people for doing wrong, but God puts a new heart in people that makes them want to do right. And I can prove that by studies. It's no, I don't believe the Bible does that. I can show you that the more the gospel comes into an area, the more it cleans drugs out, the more people go to work, the more women don't have to chase men around trying to get $20 a month for child support. The father stays in the home. So even if you don't want to go to heaven, I can show you that the Bible and church has major value. Second Chronicles chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Uncommon achievers can announce their goal. They're not ashamed of their goal. And again, that, that kind of ties back in to number two. Are you willing, you know, I heard um, Daniel said he's got a goal to win 10 million souls to the Lord. A guy, you know, he's 20 in his 20s. You're going to have people mock you when you announce your goal. Let them mock. That's their job. That's why they're called mockers. Solomon announced it. He said, now I'm planning on building the temple. I'm not telling anybody because, um, you know, we'll see whether we're able to do it or not. He announced his goal and could explain clearly the value and purpose of his goal. And you should be able to explain your goal's value and purpose in a way that by the time someone's done hearing it, they're not only in agreement with your goal, they want to get involved. This guy didn't write back and say, listen, whatever thing you're planning, count me out. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, count me in. Number five. 2 Chronicles 2, 5. This must be a magnificent temple because our God is greater than all other gods. He valued the greatness of his goal and was proud of it. Uncommon achievers value the greatness of their goal and they're proud of it. They're proud of what they're doing. This will be a magnet. Oh, we're going to build, you know, we'll see. Maybe to start it'll just be small, but, you know, then we can add on to it. This will be a magnificent temple. We're going for it. Hey, Kim, in Fort Worth, I will be there in the morning. Uncommon achievers value the greatness of their goals, and they're proud of it. Nehemiah 6.3, one of my favorite scriptures. Nehemiah is another uncommon achiever. He wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and get it resettled. Nehemiah 6.3. He realizes there's a plot going on to harm him. I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come meet with you? 
I was going to get that as a plaque on my, on my office door. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to meet with you? Write that down, Nehemiah 6.3. I'm engaged in a great work. Why should I stop working to come meet with you? Uncommon achievers. Are convinced of the value of the greatness of their goal. And they're proud of it. Thanks, Rita. Number six, 2 Chronicles 3, 6 and 7. He decorated the walls of the temple with beautiful jewels and with gold from the land of Parvium. He overlaid the beams, thresholds, walls, and doors throughout the temple with gold. And he carved figures of cherubim on the walls. Number six, he set a first-class level of quality. Uncommon achievers set a first-class level of quality. Hey, Alyssa, on Alaska, Wisconsin. I think I met you. Great to see you. See you, see you soon when I'm up there in a couple months. Uncommon achievers set a first-class level of quality. There's a guy, he's roughly my age. He pastors in one of the wealthiest uh, counties in the United States, happens to be on a beach. So every Sunday morning, he's got on flip-flops, cargo shorts, and an untucked dress shirt that looks like he keeps it in his glove compartment. Now, if you dress like that, you are making a decision to have a certain level of person in society never come listen to you. God judges on the heart. Yeah, you're not trying to get God to come to church. Um, isn't it interesting in this casual movement in church that it's, it's the only place that feels that way? People on ESPN, suit and tie. People that host shows on TV that are geared to the 18 to 35 demographic like American Idol. Ryan Seacrest has on a $7,000 suit, shirt and tie. Just remember this, when you wear a suit and tie, poor people don't say, I'm not listening to someone wearing a suit and tie. But if you dress like the other guy I mentioned, rich people do say, I'm out of here. You do understand that somebody that owns a car dealership that runs sales meetings all week, and they're always the one speaking, somebody that runs an investment hedge fund, that's speaking with top people all week. There, there's a certain presentation that your church has to have for you to hold that kind of person. You actually show that you're not a serious person in the way that you dress and, and present your church if you don't have a first-class level, and that doesn't have anything to do with money. It has to do with a spirit of excellence. I want you to write that down, a spirit of excellence. You know, 
I go to some churches and they give me a wicker basket with a bunch of bananas and grapes. One church did that and they asked if they could have the basket back from my room. I said, why don't I just give you $10 and you can buy another basket. And the guy said, oh, but it belongs to a family member of mine and she wants it. I mean, just cheap. I literally had to go back up to my hotel room and fetch the basket and dump the rest of the fruit out that I wasn't able to eat. I was at the church for two days. They gave me enough fruit. Looked like, I looked like a grocery store supply uh, stock room. How many bananas do you think I'm going to eat in 48 hours? I have like potassium problems. And then I went to another church. They presented me with and I'm not saying this to tell people I'm coming to preach for that, I, you know, I, I expect that. I'm just telling you there's a difference in people. They got me the uh, Choose Life Church in Hobbs, New Mexico. Why not tell which church is the good church? I left the bad church out as far as level of excellence. But why, why not use the name of the one that did it right? Choose Life Church in Hobbs, New Mexico has given me the welcome gift they give me, they've never given me one that's worth less than two or three thousand dollars as a thank you for coming to our church. So, spirit of excellence. I don't demand that. I don't demand anything. So why do they feel to do that? They have a, um, they have a spirit of excellence. Some places you finish preaching, They've got nothing for you. Some place you finish preaching, they have a tub of ranch dressing and some carrots and celery to dip it in and, and hot wings from Pizza Hut in a cardboard box and a paper plate. You can go help yourself. Then there's other places you go. They have people that serve you. A, a, a great meal. Some places call ahead. Ask what the speaker likes to eat. It's been one of the great joys of my life in pastoring these 13 months is to get to treat evangelists like gold. First class. Rather than just do the minimum. Now, I've given all church examples because I'm in the ministry. For your business, everything should be first class. If I go on your website right now, is it up to date? Or does it say uh, server not found? When Jerry Savelle came to preach, he was telling a story before he went to the platform about how, how much he likes, uh, he likes ice cream. He worked with T.L. Osborne. T.L. Osborne would demand ice cream after he got done preaching. I had a pastor in Congo in Central Africa tell me, in the 80s when, when T.L. Osborne came to preach, he said, take me for ice cream. And he said, and back then it was very hard to find ice cream in Congo. So Jerry Savelle got that by impartation. He said, I like having ice cream. You know, I'll have it a lot when I'm done. He just mentioned it in, in a conversation. I told Stephanie that's in the media room. I said, I mentioned, I said, when you, what flavor do you enjoy most? Oh, I like butter pecan. That's my favorite. So there's a place called Grater's Ice Cream that's around here. I think it's out of Cincinnati. They have the best butter pecan ice cream I've ever had. 
And I said, go, go pick up a bunch of tubs of their ice cream and have it in a dish for when he gets done preaching. We came up to the room. There's a bowl of butter pecan ice cream with two scoops and a spoon waiting for him. He went, oh, he lit up. It's not about money. It's about paying attention to, what, what, to being excellent. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done it unto me. So this is how I feel. What would I do for Jesus if I was having him come preach at my church? I'm actually doing what I'm doing for them. I can't do it for Jesus. I can't buy ice cream for him. Not right now. When we come back together, I'll be happy to take him out if he has time. So, but then you treat people, since you can't do it to Christ directly, you do it for his servants as you would do it to him. I wouldn't put out a tub of ranch. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus was coming to your church, would you say, got wings and pizza up there and some paper plates and uh, some vegetables and you can dip it in ranch dressing? And then we don't have any tables or anything, so just eat it crouched, trying not to get it on your robe. Have some class. As my grandfather used to say, class. Some people have it, others can't spell it. Seven. First class. That's an important one. It's hard for me to move past it. Solomon set a first class level of quality in everything he did. How's the audio on this broadcast? It's first class. We always had the best camera we could get. Actually, Ram and Nick believed God for a camera to, to film with. That was like a $5,000 camera. This is back when we probably had like 11000 in the bank for the whole ministry. And someone sent us the exact camera. We never announced it on air. I didn't know about it. Ram and Nick were privately believing for this camera, and they showed us what they wrote down. And then a guy from Alaska said, I just felt to send you this camera. And it was that one. So you, you use your faith for that stuff. You know, I don't have, it's, you know, I don't have, I, we, our ministry doesn't have a lot of money. We don't have helpers like Jonathan. I didn't have helpers or money. I have helpers and money because I made a decision to be first class, not the other way around. You don't say, once I get money and help, I'm going to do this, this, and this. You set in that direction now, and then God adds the money and help. Number seven. Solomon kept alive the enthusiasm and greatness of his project. So did Nehemiah. This is important for leaders. Keep people excited about what you're doing. Keep momentum. Keep taking people somewhere. Pastor Rodney, there's always something. Now the new building. Here's the video of the new building we're built. You're taking people on a journey. Not help us pay our bills. Talking about budgets costs you something. Talking about vision brings you something. Stole that from Dr. Jesse Duplantis. Great line. Many ministries, it's all expense. We have this expense that rose and this need. It's all expense and need. If you talk vision, you won't have expenses and needs. You'll have an abundance of money. 
People are attracted to vision, not debt. Pastor Rodney paid $10.3 million cash for that new building. Raised it in less than, had it come in in less than a year. If he'd have got a loan for it, he'd be paying it off for 30 years because nobody gives a crap about paying off a loan. But they do care about building a church. Talking about budgets costs you something. People aren't interested. Talking about vision brings you something. Uncommon achievers keep alive the enthusiasm and greatness of their project. You listen to some people explain, hey, I heard you're a pastor. Yeah, we just have like a small church and, you know, we've, we've hit some trouble. Listen, I've known you for, for 11 seconds and I'm already disinterested in you and what you do. Oh, you're welcome, Evangelist Rebecca. Rebecca. I'm not talking about being some walking built, but if you have to explain, if somebody asks you about your ministry, the way you talk about it should make people not only say, oh, that's great. It should make them want to get involved. We have people who don't know the Lord that give to our ministry because they just like what we're doing. Number eight. Well, before I move off, number seven. If you're going to keep alive the enthusiasm and greatness of what you're doing, you have to first keep it alive to you. I would, I would attack it like cancer if I felt myself getting bored. That's the beginning of burnout. You, something's wrong. Keep your passion alive. If if you're passionate about something, you'll naturally get people excited and enthusiastic about it. You ever eaten at a really good restaurant? You became an evangelist for that restaurant? You've got to eat here. That's one way you grow a church. I just had a lady contact me. We follow each other on Twitter, but I've never met her. She's a, a comedian. And she said, friends of mine said they came to your church during uh, the 21 days of special meetings you're doing and told, told me how great it is. I'm going to be there on Friday. If you, if you get people excited, they get other people excited. Number eight. Solomon established a projection schedule and began working. At some point, you must stop preparing and start doing. Uncommon achievers establish a projection schedule and begin working. At some point, you must stop preparing and start doing. One day the Lord spoke to me, I'm going to fill stadiums. You're in your 70s. You better get started. Some people, you've heard them talk about the same vision for 30 years. They never have moved on at one time. There's a guy on Instagram that's an evangelist. All he does is travel around planning crusades, and there's never a crusade. <laughs> Heading to Canada to plan our crusades to shake Canada. Next year, same thing. There's never the crusade, ever. 
never will take the step to actually make the move. And there's a lot of people like that in the charismatic church. They're just, they're, they, they talk vision and all that, but then when it comes time, Solomon didn't only talk about his vision. We read it already. I'm not going to go back and read it again. Second Chronicles chapter 2 and 3. He set the schedule, hired the men, had them begin working, met with the foreman, 3,600 of them, and got the, got the show on the road. This broadcast started with me grabbing my iPhone 5 or 6 or whatever, hopping on Periscope, and doing a broadcast from Barbados, telling, giving people a missions update as I held my camera and talked to it. Get going. Well, you know, I don't have a studio yet. And at some point, you got to start. Start with where you're at. Believe for God to give you more. And make it first class when you start. Number nine, 1 Kings 10, 8. 12 secrets to make 2023 a year of uncommon achievement. And I'm going to throw two bonus ones on at the end. 1 Kings 10, 8. Um, I'll start at six. This is when the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon. She exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people. No, it has an asterisk. That's not what it says. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Number nine, Solomon only hired happy people. The Queen of Sheba said, I've never seen servants like happy like this. The people that's, that serve around you are so happy. Uncommon achievers hire happy people. If you're sad in this ministry, your job's at stake. You keep your joy, and one way you keep your joy is by keeping joyful people around you. Stephanie's in the media room. She's happy. Rom, that runs this, is happy. Nick's happy. It's all happy. It's people, like I told you, there's nobody I see coming down the hall that I go a different way. They've done a, um, a study that executives said they'd rather, hire, they'd rather have somebody on staff who does a worse job but's happy than someone that does a better job that's, that's uh, unpleasant to be around. How's it going today? Monday. It's Wednesday. Keep joyful people around you. Number 10. John 2, 23 to 25. 
Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many believed in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew each person's heart. Write this down. It's not what men say about you. It's what you believe about yourself. Many believed in him and now began to believe he's the Messiah. Jesus didn't care. He already knew he was the Messiah. It's not what people say about you. It's what you believe about yourself that's going to determine where you go in life. Number 10, have a large opinion of yourself in Christ. I mean, no, we're nothing, but he's everything. Yeah, and he's everything, and he, where does he live? In you, which makes you not nothing. Makes you able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Makes you more than a conqueror. Makes you 20 other things I could list off from Scripture that are out of this world in its description of you as a believer. Have a large opinion of yourself in Christ. Proverbs 23, 9. Is that right? Now it's 23.7. Let me change it in my notes. In the King James. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So he is. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. You are what you believe about yourself. Leanne said, we are who God says we are. Hallelujah. In a way. But in another way, you'll only manifest what you believe about that. God can say you're more than a conqueror all you want. If you believe you're a struggler, you'll be a struggler. Your life won't be... Now, think of this. Your life actually won't be shaped by what people say about you. Your life won't be even shaped by what the Bible says about you. Your life will be shaped by what you choose to believe about yourself. Have a large opinion of yourself. What was the difference between the unbelieving spies and um, Joshua and Caleb? Yes, there are giants in the land, but if the Lord is with us, we are well able to drive them out and take the country. What did the other guys say? We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Guys, get the graphic for um, Secrets of the Richest Man Who Ever Lived by Mike Murdoch. I'm going to make that the, the book today. Number 11, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and John 9, 4. I would definitely call Abraham an uncommon achiever. Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. 
I will bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord instructed. Next sentence. After the Lord spoke to him, one sentence later, he's on the move. John 9, 4. Jesus said, I would consider Jesus an uncommon achiever. Walked on water. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. For night is coming when no man can work. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the Father. I want you to write that down. We must quickly, not just carry them out, quickly carry them out. Pastor Rodney announced those balconies when? March, we're going to dedicate it nine months later. I don't even know how you, how you do that. Quickly carry out tasks. I guess there'll only be one bonus because um, I can combine this one bonus in that. I want you to write a second thing down under that point. I will be a yes person. Abram, leave your family. Well, I got some appointments. You think Abram had no appointments or anything going on with his family or anything? Mom's not. Mom's having her birthday in two weeks. I was actually the one in charge of it. He left. The disciples left their nets. Those are the only kind of, think of this now. It's the only kind of people Jesus would work with. Leave your nets and come follow me. Uh, I can't do that. I'm in charge of this fishing company. My boss will kill me. Okay. Lift their nets and follow them. Sell everything you own and come follow me. I can't. I got it. Okay. Then see you later. I'd love to come follow you. My dad just died. Let the dead bury their dead. If you want to go to the funeral, go to the funeral. You want to come with me? Come with me. That's Jesus. That really happened. You know, can you imagine that today, if a pastor did that? I'm going out to preach. Come with me. My dad just died. You can come with me. You can go to the funeral. But if you go to the funeral, I'm finding somebody else. Do you know that he actually gave me an ultimatum to either go to my dad's funeral or go with him? And then he, he, you know, he, he has the nerve to talk about love and compassion Be a yes person to God. So number 11, I gave you the scriptures, might as well give you the title. Move quickly. People plan and move like they have biblical lifespans. You're not going to live till you're 500. And people are like in their 70s, thinking about buying land. uh, Then I do less thinking and more buying. That same day, Abram departed. Gone. It wasn't like he asked him to do a little thing. Leave your father's family. Do you know if you moved away from your family and where you lived back then, it was a death sentence. 
It's like moving into Apache territory in the early 1800s. You have no protection. You don't know anyone where you're going. The Canaanites hated any, any foreigners or anything. Move quickly. I've had pastors tell me before that, I've, you know, our church isn't that big because we wanted to just take the, few, the first few years and build slow. Yeah, that's great. Now you've created a culture of no growth and slow growth. You know what I decided to do when we started this church? Move quick. Go for a thousand in year one, and we hit it. God likes people that move fast. He moves fast. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise to return, as some people think. I actually, I like the first part. God is not slow. Reinhard Bonnke's old line. God runs with the runners. He doesn't sit with the sitters. Just go. Some of us that are watching right now, and I have nobody in mind in particular. The thing God has for you to do this year is the same thing he spoke to you to do five years ago, and you haven't done it. And he's not given further instruction until you move on it. Move. Somebody on YouTube said, Jonathan had me when I heard him say, I'm not praying for anyone still wearing a mask. <laughs> Forgot I said that. Move quick. Dag Haywood Mills. Um, actually, the man who signed this building over to us, he, he told us we could start using it in October. We had a construction crew here the next morning working on the building. And when he gave us the building and gave us our money back that we had paid him, he said, when I saw how quickly you moved on the building, that made me decide to give it to you. See, that's, that's how, that's how top-level people think. Did you know, and I'm not saying this to, to make myself like a shining example, but let's be honest. Most people, if they were given this building, would be getting ready to have their first service in it, maybe now. We still had to put $1.2 million into it. Well, you know, yes, we're giving the building. Now we're, you know, we're trying to secure the financing. To just freaking slow on everything. Move. Get going. See, if, if I'd have waited on it, you know, if you tell everybody you're going to start a church and someone gives you a building, they're calling your bluff. Now you have the, all right, I heard you saying, here's your building. Have, have your church. Well, you know, now we need chairs and, um sound system and there's like a lot of remodeling that needs done so slow and then if you haven't written it down yet write it down be a yes person say yes to God say yes to opportunities walk through open doors do you see that huge church that Dallas and I preached at in Akragana they called for us to preach a couple a few weeks before we went the only time that fit in their schedule for the year would require me to leave on Thanksgiving Day in the middle of the day to get there. 
That's the opportunity of a lifetime. I've been praying since I was 19, 17. For God to open big doors, to preach to thousands of people. One opens up. I don't care if I have to leave at 6 in the morning on Christmas Day. I don't care. But 99 out of 100 people, you know, that's um, the only way we'd be able to go is if we left on Thanksgiving. And so maybe we can do it next year. But it doesn't work like that. If you don't move when it's on somebody's heart to open the door, they lose the, oh, yeah, I remember you. I invited you last year and you didn't come. All right, I'll be there. I'll book a ticket on Thanksgiving. You know, even people, people I know, you know, that's on, you're going to have to leave on Thanksgiving. Okay, no big deal then. I'll eat turkey on the plane. Move. So then, see, to he who uses well, Jesus said to he who uses well what he's been given, he'll be given even more and have an abundance. So we do that, and then Daystar texts me. We want to do a show on the midterm election. And we want you to be the guest with Lance Wall now. I know it's short notice. Can you come? When is it? Tuesday at 10 in the morning. I land at JFK Airport at 5 a.m. Tuesday morning. And that's in Dallas at 10 a.m. And my flight is to Pittsburgh. So I land in Pittsburgh at, at, at noon or 1 p.m. So think of this. Think how your brain has to work to go to a high level. If I, well, no, I can't make it because I'm coming back from Ghana. The soonest I can get back to Pittsburgh's 1 p.m. Yeah, but I stop in New York before Pittsburgh. And if you come from overseas, they make you recheck your bags. So I told Adonis, let's clear customs. When they give us our bags, don't recheck them. And no, we're not going to go to Pittsburgh. Well, there's no flights to Dallas that early. No, no, no public flights. But there's private planes that will take you anywhere you want if you pay. So we have one waiting at an airport 35 minutes away because the air traffic at JFK Airport is so thick, sometimes you can't take off for over an hour, even with a charter jet. So, how, but we don't have a car. See, I'm telling you that some people listening to this, it won't matter how much you fast and pray because your brain works at such a low level that whatever got open for you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't say yes. You'd come up with nine reasons why you can't. It's Thanksgiving, then there's no flight. Make it happen. I have a plane waiting for me. How are we going to get there, though? Did you know Adalis got through customs before I did? When I came through the door, she was, she, she was signaling me to come with her. She had this... A guy from the Dominican Republic that spoke Spanish. She had already talked to him in Spanish and arranged the ride. I thought he was a taxi driver. Turned out it was just some fellow Hispanic that Adalis wrangled into taking us to another airport for cash. <laughs> hey, you're Dominican. I'm Puerto Rican. Let's Take me and my husband to, to an airport. We'll pay you. Okay. <laughs> Went there. So then I'm going there, and they message. If you can get here a little earlier, we could do a second program with you. We'll make you, we'll have you preach on ministry now, and then we'll record that program in the afternoon. If you can get here early, I'm already. Now, I just finished a nine-hour flight. I go to that private airport. 
I had an iron with me that I bought. I said, can I use your pilot's lounge? Sure. I cleared their computer and keyboard off of the table, put, put my shirt on and ironed it, ironed my suit. You can't, you know, if I'd have worn the shirt and suit, I was going to go on TV. I'd have been a wrinkled mess after nine hours. Ironed it on the table, not even an ironing board, and changed in there. And there's no lock on the door. I, I like had my butt up against it. The guy went to open it and occupied. <laughs> Sitting there in my underpants. Do what you're going to do. Came out, came out in the suit and tie, got on the plane, got there. Then they put us in a holding. Oh, they rerouted the flight because of a thunderstorm or something. So I got there later than expected. I got on set for the uh, 10 o'clock program. I was supposed to be there at 9.40. I was the soonest. I got there at 10.20, but I kept texting them, don't give up on me, I'll be there. I got there at 10.20, got onto the set at 10.30, and when, when Joni from Daystar saw me, she ended the interview and had me come up and preach. And I got up and let it rip. On no sleep after all that. Because those are big doors. I can't, you know, we don't let. Find a way to make it happen. Be a yes person. Um, you know the story of when Pastor Rodney called me out of the blue. I'd love to meet with you the next time you're in Florida. I'll be there tomorrow if it's not too soon. I had $1,000 to my name. That's enough to book two plane tickets and a hotel. That's about all it's enough for, but it, that, that's all I need. And then I'll take, what are you going to do the rest of the month? Figure it out the rest of the month. Let tomorrow's worries take care of itself, for the evil thereof of today is sufficient. Move. You know what? Let's be honest. 99 out of 100 people. Okay, I don't know when I'm in Florida again. I don't have any meetings booked, but... Um, and then... Rodney might not feel then like he felt now. When someone feels to help you, that feeling doesn't last forever. It doesn't necessarily last a week. It lasts then. So move. Move this year. What's the title today? 12 Secrets to Make 2023 a Year of Uncommon Achievement. How about this? For the first time in your life, move on the instruction that God gave you that you haven't moved on. I feel called to go to Bible college. Do you have online? No, we don't. Because if you can't move, you're not going to do anything. That's why I like moving to Bible college. Parker's here that's in our Bible college. She moved here from Tennessee. How old are you? 18. Got an apartment. That, that makes you a different person than sitting in your stained pajamas watching online courses in the place you've always lived, in your upstairs bedroom. I'm telling you, it makes you different. Yes. Twelve. First Samuel 30. Six through eight. David's wives and children and his men's wives and children are all kidnapped. And the Lord said, pursue, overtake, and recover all. Number 12, uncommon achievers navigate forward while in crisis. They don't stop their life when there's a crisis. They keep going forward even when there's catastrophe and crisis that they're dealing with. I'm not saying you succumb to it. 
We started a restaurant, but we had to shut it down because my wife's having her second baby. We, it's a group effort. For, for 1,970 years, the woman raised the children while the man worked. And that, now you got, it's, everything's like group effort. You know, we have three kids. Now. People used to have like 13. And the man never saw them. He didn't even know their names. He just was <laughs> farming. It's a real thing. I didn't make that up. Someone I know started a restaurant. And you notice the restaurant's not in operation eight months later. I shut it down because we found out we're having our second child. So I need to be home to help. Okay. It's kind of helping to earn lots of money. That's a help. When you're in crisis, don't shut everything down. Keep, keep going forward. Paul got thrown in jail in Philippi and started a church while he was in prison. He wrote the epistles while he was, kept, kept his ministry going. Writing letters. All right, good, I'm in jail. This will give me some time to write. Anyone have a pen? Uncommon achievers don't shut down when hardship comes. They navigate forward, pursue, overtake, and recover all. That was in the worst time of David's life. Uncommon achievers navigate forward while in crisis. If you read about great men of God, I think John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, I think his wife was like completely nuts, like mentally ill. She would stand up in his meetings and yell at him from the back. And he kept going forward. I'm not, I'm not uh, pronouncing these things upon you that you're going to deal with. I'm just saying, if, if trouble shows its head, go twice as hard. Because think about it. The whole point of the crisis that the enemy is manufacturing is to get you to quit. So if, if he's trying to get you to quit, do the opposite. Go twice as hard. What's the story of Rodney Howard Brown? He had a great ministry until he found out his daughter's uh, cystic fibrosis was advancing, and then they decided to come off the road and just be a family. Mm. Went harder, praying for the sick while his daughter's in intensive care. That's what uncommon achievers do. Bonus. This happens to be the last thing. We happen to receive an offering at the end of our broadcast, but I'm not saying this to lead into it, though it, is, it does correlate. We read about David. Uncommon achievers sow uncommon seed. Not so, sow uncommon seed. Brother Daniel sowed a seed yesterday. It's an uncommon seed. I didn't even know what it was till I looked it up after he gave it to me. Uncommon seed. Somebody in their 20s, I never sowed anything like that until I was probably 35 or 6. Uncommon seed. I met Pastor Bob Nichols, took him out to dinner last week. 
I forgot that I had him on salary, full-time salary. And then he told me, uh, thank you and Pastor Rodney have really helped me between what you send. And then Pastor Rodney keeps, uh, sends me groceries every week. Pastor Rodney takes care of all his food. That's one thing of many things that Pastor Rodney sells. There's an, a, a minister that I know. He uses his own plane. So he preached for a guy. And the guy said, I want to sow a seed to take care of your plane. And he gave him a check for $5,000. My friend, those charter jets are not $5,000. So if you want to give $5,000, then just sow. Don't. See, pe- people, ha- they don't, you know what I mean? They don't sow anything that, 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 that uh, is substantial. And that wasn't from him personally. That was from the church. So I'm only bringing that up because it shows the guy doesn't have a concept of how much things cost. You know the story of how I sowed $100,000 and then we received the harvest of this building. If I hear Dr. Rodney's building a church, actually $100,000 is on the low end of something for, for something like that. It's a $10.3 million project. So really, it, it, it should be a million dollar seed for something like that. And then you still need 10 more people to do that. But 100000 was what I felt to give. And that is a building-type seed. And it produced a building-type harvest. The three speakers that we had in last week, I gave them $200,000 if you add up the amounts that I gave the three of them. And when I say I, I mean our ministry gave that. And then I had them take their own offering. So I'm not saying... because. Pastors would always do that when I was traveling. We, we gave him, or I gave him. No, you didn't. The people did. You collected it and then wrote it out on a check and gave it. That's not, notice how David talked in 1 Chronicles 29. I collected all these materials from my friends that are, that are kings, but then I personally gave. Be, uh, above what they gave, I gave this. So some ministers, they see... I'm saying this not to be critical. I'm saying because people don't realize why they're not at a high level. Because they count things that don't count. I gave. No, the people gave. And you collected it. David collected from other people. But then on top of that, he gave. So they received their own offerings. I didn't ask him how much came in. I'm sure plenty came in. And I... There couldn't have been too much that came in for me to be happy. But I probably outgave, we as our ministry outgave whatever came in that the church gave. When I was younger, I told the guy that counted the offering at the church I went to, because he was my friend. They took an offering for the pastor, for Pastor Appreciation Day. I said, after you count it, let me know what it is. It was $2,200 from 200 people. So then I wrote one for 2200 So the blessing that these 200 people are going to split between themselves, I'll get it all myself. Think of that. 200 people. Now, I'm not saying this for me. We didn't do anything for pastor appreciation. I couldn't be appreciated anymore. People are appreciating me too much. So I'm not saying this for people. But now, think of the mentality that out of a church of 200 people, if the offering for the pastor to bless him was $2,200, that means no one gave more than... $2,000 to honor their pastor for the year. Uncommon achievers, so uncommon seed.
And I would be remiss and wrong to leave this out. If you're expecting a year like no other year, it's going to require a seed like you've never sown. Imagine, imagine if when the Lord um, spoke to me to sow that 100000 Now, you have to remember, I'm getting ready to pay half a million dollars the next day as a down payment on this building. And if you're, if you're believing me for favor with that building, then sow 100000 I'm thinking, God, now 500 is going to be 600 but no. When you sow seed, God's actually saying, okay, now if you want, you can get all the millions of dollars to pay for the building. Or you can give me what I'm asking you to give, and then I'll wipe out 20 years of you having a building project and raising money and getting loans. When God speaks to you about a seed, he has a harvest in mind. David was an uncommon seed sower, $6 billion offering. He emptied his private treasury at the end of his life for the temple of God. And we're still quoting him. <laughs> I'm talking about him. We, were talking, we talk about David like he lives down the street. All the Christians that are, I can just say David. You don't even have to say, there's no last name, just David. And he's been dead for a long time. Over 2,000 years. And he's talked about all every week at every church. You know, ministries that are in debt and in deficit. We charge the students $2,000 a year to go to Revival Today Bible Institute. If I said, you know what, I felt to sow, so we cut it back to 1000 a year. That's not a seat. That's not sowing. If I make my books at my book table half price, that's not sowing. That's a price reduction. That's tuition reduction. Sowing, because some ministries have creative ways to think about sowing where they actually never sow. We gave all our staff a raise and sowed that into it. That's not sowing. That's giving a raise. Sowing is money that's in your possession, leaving your possession into somebody else's possession. I've said this before, if I wanted to, I could tithe from Revival Today Evangelistic Ministry to Revival Today Church, and then I could tithe and sow from Revival Today Church into the Revival Today Evangelistic Ministry, and on paper, it would look like giving, but it, it's taking money from my right hand and putting it in my, I control both accounts. So, if I take 100000 and give it to Dr. Rodney's ministry, it's gone. It left my hand. Seed leaves your life and goes into the soil. You don't take the seed and put it in the dirt with your fingers still attached. It'll never grow. I know people that have counted their, not at Revival Today Bible, but like when I was in Bible school in Rhode Island, there were people's parents that counted their kids' tuition as their tithe. All right, it's not, but go ahead. It's tuition. It's not a seed. Seeds that you sow don't benefit you. In the natural. And people are saving up 
for I don't know what. I'm putting this aside for when I'm older. No guarantee you're going to see it. Rapture could happen. You're alive now. You're living now. So now. You're not kissing it goodbye. It's going to come back. And I'm telling you, seed outperforms investment. Especially with our current administration. I mean, the last two years, if your investments went sideways, it's considered a win. Seeds don't go sideways. Seeds produce a hundredfold. So it's not making a decision to be a financial idiot. It's making a decision to be a financial champion. Which one of these points helped you the most? I'd be interested to know. I'm not doing these just to tell you what I know. I want you to take these things and go to work with them. And make this year a different year. Father, thank you for helping us to do that. To instantly obey your voice. To operate at your level, not our level. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you the opportunity to, see, to sow before we go to prayer. Uh, where's the graphic for that book? Secrets of the richest man who ever lived. 31 master secrets from the life of King Solomon. Some of the, these points are derived from that, that book. So this would be, a, if you enjoyed today, you'll enjoy this book. I'm going to send it to anyone who sows a seed of any size. Revivaltoday.com and you click give now. There's all the other ways to give. You can also mail it. Revival Today, P.O. Buck 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. One more time for people on podcast. Revival Today, P.O. Buck 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. Don't forget to go to revivaltoday.com and click Claim My Offer. Um, I had a man come up to me. He got saved in September. He flew here from another state. And he said, I gave $1,000. The guy's been saved uh, October, November, December, January. Four months. Some people have been saved 40 years. They've never given a $1,000 seed. I gave $1,000. I sowed a $1,000 seed. And he showed me on his phone a picture that a, loss, a lawsuit settlement that he received in his favor from years back. This week at Fasting and Prayer, they realized years ago that they underpaid him from his settlement and sent him $4,444. He said, since I sowed that $1,000 seed at the beginning of fasting and prayer, that's one thing that happened. He said, I'm up over $10,000. And he said, we still have, now listen to how he talks as a new believer, full of faith with nobody to put unbelief in him. He said, um, I'm up over $10,000 now off that $1,000 seed and there's still a week to go. In other words, it's not, wow, can't, not, I can't believe that happened. There's still another week coming. Uncommon seeds produce uncommon harvest. And I pray that you have a year of uncommon achievement in Jesus' name. Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast, or if you're listening to my wife's. Thank you on her behalf. If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to RevivalToday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift 
that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.